Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice. I'm Ellie Mistal. Uh, from Above the Law. And we have a sponsor today, by the way. Uh, Is it The Sun, finally? It's Major Lindsay in Africa, the world's leading legal search firm, specializing in total legal talent management and advisory to recruitment. They're sponsoring the show now, so it's exciting. I feel warm and cuddly already. You should. All right, well... Speaking of cuddly. Ooh, okay. <laughs> I'm intrigued. So a big story kind of broke in the uh, New York Post uh, a couple weeks ago. Mm. Um, well, I, by the time you're listening to this, a week ago. Yeah. About some, how do I put this nicely? Snooty assholes who are taking up space in our city for their dogs. The background of the story is that some people in Tribeca put up a gate in a public park, just did it of their own accord, put up a gate, put up a padlock, started charging membership fees to have a private dog park, dog run, dog excursion in the middle of Tribeca. Now, there are a couple of private dog runs. And if you don't know what I mean, I mean, literally, it's a dog run. It's a place. It's a, you know, 90 by 90 plot of land for dogs that has a lock on it and you can't get in with your dog unless you're part of the club and you pay the membership fees and you pay the dues and whatever. And there's one actually right behind our offices. I don't know if you know this, Joe. There's one actually behind our office on Mercer Street that I have been to, not with my dog, just to smoke and judge the people who are going in and out of that place. I mean, I've seen that dog run. I had no idea it was a yeah, private. Yeah, it's private. Run. I knew Amazing. it was private. And I just, you know, so, you know, you kind of stand next to the next to the park, smoking your cigarette, which annoys people anyway, and just kind of literally look down your noses at these snooty assholes. So I've done that. But this one, this story that came out last week, these are people who didn't even have a private space. They made a public space private. The best way of putting it, the uh, podcast guy that we follow all the time, Mike Duncan, oh, yeah. tweeted out the line, people who steal private property end up in chains. People who steal public property end up rich. Cato the Elder. That was Mike Duncan's take <laughs> on it. It's it's disgusting and it has to stop. It's, you have a good legal angle here, though. I, I mean, when I read it, all I could think was back to that glorious, glorious day in every young law student's life where they're in property class and they learn the words adverse possession. These people took this area from the city and made it something they profited off of. And they did so for multiple years. Ten years. (laughs) Ten years. With no one noticing. snooty dog people adversely possessed a public park for their pooches for 10 goddamn years. I mean, I'm not entirely sure of the wrinkles. There's some discussion of how their group had some, like, at one point public-private agreement with the city, certainly not to do what they did, but some kind of an agreement. Does that, like, prevent their adverse possession in that the city had reason to believe they weren't acting adverse? Things like that, but... That's a dog of a case. But, you know... (laughs) You know what I'm going to do to that. That's why we have sound effects. Yeah, no, I saw that case and I was, 
I mean, I think you had a line about uh, how pretentious that is. I said uh, belonging to a private dog run is more pretentious than the orgies in the Eyes Wide Shut movie. <laughs> so yeah, I'm yeah. Grinding, that's my, my grind for the Gears today. That's disgusting. Honestly, I think the best punishment would be to lock them inside their dog run and, and just wait and just wait for their dogs to get hungry. Mm. Yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> dark. Dark turn. Yeah, things got really dark here. We should uh, talk about Major Lindsay Africa again. We, we, we will. We will, actually. So let's take a quick break. Then we're going to get back. And today, what we're going to do is talk about more of law school decisions. We're very excited about that. But first, we'll take our break. Wondering what lies ahead on the road to success? Whether you're looking to advance your legal career or grow your legal team, Major Lindsay in Africa can help you navigate the legal landscape. With more than 35 years of experience in legal recruiting, Major Lindsay helps law firms and legal departments thrive in today's ever-changing market and matches lawyers and legal professionals with opportunities where they can flourish. Learn more at mlaglobal.com. So we're back. So we did a show last time. If you haven't listened to it, we did a show where we, which is a recurring show. We do this every year where we take examples of people who have written us, who are prospective law students with their situations, what schools they've been admitted to, whether they should retake the test, whether they should take this scholarship offer or that scholarship offer. And we go through them and offer our advice on what they should do. At the end of the last episode, we asked the audience, send us more of these. We will gladly chime in. And we received an outpouring of response from you all with a bunch of questions. And we thought we should therefore do an emergency part two here and start going through some of the ones that we've gotten so that you can make your decisions in time for law school. We know that admissions deadlines and, and deposit deadlines are coming up. Usually when we do this, because of the nature of above the law, we skew a little bit towards first world problems. Yeah. And we've got some of those in, in this outpouring, but man, we've also got some tough cases. Yeah. Which really makes me excited. <laughs> <laughs> so can we start with one of the real, ugh, I don't know what this person should do, tough cases? Okay, let's do it. All right. Which one? Case number four. Okay, and let's see here. Okay, so this, oh yeah, no. So this <laughs> is a um, prospective student, wants to begin law school this year, wants to be near the New York City market, take the LSAT a few times, got up to a 150, Apparently, it's a 25-year-old with, you know, some family issues, uh, perhaps. Yeah, so there was, uh, I guess, some, a history of dyslexia in the family. That has been overcome after many struggles. The student got themselves to 150, and that's a high watermark for the student. So they are now choosing between, what is it? Syracuse and Pace. So Syracuse is offering 36000 as a scholarship, providing they maintain a 2.2 GPA, which should be manageable. The alternative is PACE, which is offering 51000 but they have to maintain a 3.0. Right. The Syracuse uh, GPA requirement for the scholarship is 2.2. The PACE three. for more yep. money is, is yep. 3.0. And the person says they, you know, they want to go into public interest, which is, I think, a thing we will ret return to a couple of times. Right. Um, it's also true that Syracuse would require moving new room and board and everything right. it's getting back and forth to white plains is a little easier so right. wouldn't have to get that 
for pace. And, you know, so, and obviously the person wants to stay near New York City. They've got family here. And Syracuse, it, it's in the same state, but not really. <laughs> ain't the same thing at right. all. Yeah. So what do you think? I think Syracuse. I think that, yes, there's increased costs in room and board, but I also think that I'm pretty sure, not that I've looked into it, but I think life is cheap in Syracuse, New York. I think that you can get an apartment for 500 bucks and be just fine, probably. That's probably too low. But in that ballpark, I think that you've got a better school in Syracuse. I mean, if you can become vice president. A demonstrably better school. If you can become the vice president out of a school, you know, then you can you can do anything. <laughs> Subway Joe. Yeah, I'm going to go with Pace. And the the reason why is because I'm thinking about the student's kind of family situation. And there's no accounting for that, really. But if they want to stay close to New York City, if they've got family in, close to New York City, if kind of being a part of their family and being close to their family is one of the reasons why we're here kind of thing, then I think that extra closeness, White Plains is really not far. I basically commute from White Plains. You do. When I bother. Once or twice a week. When I bother to show up here. Yeah. It's not that bad. It's a whole lot different than commuting from Syracuse. True. You're getting more money at Pace as well. You're you're right. That probably gets a right sides in the wash of how much more expensive being in and around New York City is than being in and around Syracuse. But I think if your family is important, if your family is, is a key factor and you want to stay close to them, Pace is close to them. Syracuse is not. But I think that's true. I think... I get that. I just think I also am one of those people who believes, especially if you have any concerns with academic concentration on that, that putting some distance is useful. This is no longer me at home. This is me at school now, I think is a valuable thing that people underplay. So that's, that's an option. Yeah. Your family doesn't, isn't necessarily helping you study. That's, that's for damn sure. And I think you also have in Syracuse's favor, we didn't talk about this, but the 2.2 versus the 3.0, if you're already, you know, struggling to hit 150 on the LSAT, that does not mean you're not going to be a good student or that you're dumb or anything like that. But it does, it might mean that, that you have some issues with test taking, which is a skill in and of itself. If you have some test taking issues, having a softer landing at that 2.2 GPA is something to consider. Yeah. But I think I still come down on the side of pace with the more money and the closer to the to the family. Yeah, but no, I, I, I come down on Syracuse, also very close. No, no, that's a very good one. Let's do case two because let's do case right. two because that person just is, has all kinds of questions that we can get into at a deeper level. That's so true. I don't even know where to begin with this one. Let's talk about this. Uh, let, let's go through the questions that I've kind of identified and we'll pepper in the person's actual story as they come in. How many applications to law schools did you send out? Five. I think I sent out more, but not many. Like I think it's six or seven. This person has sent out a lot more. It's very different than college, right? In college, you kind of cast a wide net. You're not really sure what you want to do. You have a lot of options. You have a lot of different regions of the country you might be interested in. By the time you're to law school, you should really be have at least your region of the country whittled down. You should have a better sense of what your scores are going to get you because law school is so much more point-click GPA times LSAT equals Y than college admissions. This person sent out something like 15 applications. It looks like 15, 14 or 15 as I'm like counting over them here. Yeah. So problem one, it's too many. Yeah. Do not send out 15 law school applications. Yeah, you really shouldn't. I understand given that the 
for a lot of people, the only application process they've ever gone through is that undergrad one. But you really shouldn't be doing this because unlike undergrad, where you kind of have to have that degree to move on with your life, law school degrees at a certain point, this sounds mean, but some of them actually aren't worth anything. And so you don't want to go down this road of I need a safety school because it's possible that the safety school you're talking about is something you shouldn't be doing anyway. It's very unsafe to continue <laughs> that analogy. So rule number one, probably don't have 15 applications out there. That would actually make these decisions a little bit easier to do. <laughs> but given that there were 15, I think what we want to focus on to get to the specifics are kind of a question of paying elite school full price, mediocre school kind of half price, and bad schools for free and what to do. In this instance, we're kind of between an American University and Temple, which are schools that, you know, they can go to for, you know, cheap if not free. I can't really, yeah, but for free. There's kind of the mid-level of the George Washington, Washington and Lee schools where they are getting some level of money. I think it's uh, Washington and Lee is 40,000 and George Washington is 35. Meanwhile, there's a chance here there because of waitlist, whatever. They think there's an opportunity potentially Georgetown, which I guess technically is elite or 15 or whatever that is now. <laughs> but, you know, make Georgetown great again. But that's also an option, which probably, given where we are, probably is going to be at full price. So what do you do there? So I generally feel like the only law schools that are worth full price unquestionably, if you get in, you go, are Yale, Stanford, and Harvard. See how I did that? I listened to U.S. News for like once. Yeah. And I did it in that order. But you can make an argument, I think, that the next tier down, CCN, uh, Columbia, Chicago, and NYU are also... But like this, I would say that Columbia, NYU, and, and Chicago are priced fairly. That Harvard, Yale, and Stanford are underpriced, actually, if this is what the market's going to bear. And then every place, every place else after that, it becomes appropriate to at least start thinking about scholarship, how much money am I getting, how many spots am I trading around, whatever. So when you say elite schools, is it worth it to go to an elite school at full price? You really got to be, I'm using the word elite in the most kind of rarefied you know, adversely possessing a dog park <laughs> douchebag kind of way of that of that word. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think the top six are the real elite. There you can pay. I would say that CCN are priced fairly. So you would pay full price at those. Once you get below that, I think you need to start thinking that it may not be totally worth it to pay full price. So, yeah. But, the, but remember, this is a triumvirate battle, right? Your right. next thing is your mediocre school at some scholarship versus your crappy school for free. Yeah. I think in that sense, you really want the mediocre school for a little bit of money as opposed to the free crappy school because the free crappy school, while free is good, the degree you get might also not be worth anything. Yeah. Yeah, because even though you aren't paying money, I'm going to sound very Suze Orman style here, like, but the, the, while you aren't paying <laughs> any money, what you are doing is spending three years not earning any money. And that is a cost in and of itself. So that's three years of your potential life savings that are just not happening, even if it's free tuition, quote unquote. So you come out with a degree that is largely useless. You end up in a, quote unquote, JD Advantage job doing the job you probably could have done even without that JD. Now you're three years behind is all you are. 
So you need to think not just is the job I'm going to get able to pay off my loans, but is it worth justifying three years of no earnings? One of the things that people ask me sometimes is, like, oh, but Ellie, surely you like, you're happy that you went to law school. You wouldn't be able to have your job now if you didn't have that legal training. Just the legal knowledge has helped you in your non-legal career. Okay, true, given how I've decided to pursue my non-legal career. But even when you say that, what you're ignoring is the opportunity cost of me, I don't know, actually practicing journalism for three years as opposed to practicing law for three years. Right, without the law school, I couldn't be a legal commenter on Above the Law. But I don't know, I might be able to use a comma. Yeah. I might... <laughs> You know, I, right. I, 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 I might be able to report on pop culture. I might. I, that's three years of experience. It's not like if I hadn't gone to law school, I just would have spent three years playing Madden football. In fact, going to law school allowed me to play more Madden football than I would have been if I had to have a real job. Having known you from a period in your life where you were between jobs, no, you still would have just played Madden. So I think this <laughs> that you probably did make the right choice. But again, you made the right choice going to Harvard. I don't think you would be feeling this good if it was, yeah, but Ellie, you went to yeah. name some bad law school. Uh, <laughs> Everybody can think of one on their own. Mine is Cooley. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. And, and so I think, yes, I think that you go to the mid-tier school. Yes, that's not a full scholarship. And then you got to think, is this worth it? But don't think, is it worth it to go this little bit in debt to get this degree versus the free one? Think of it as, is it worth this versus not going at all? Because I really do think you probably are putting yourself behind an eight ball, not working, and then getting one of those degrees. The other problem this person has, and it's going to come up, it comes up again and again with people who email us, is the wait list. Mm -hmm. We recently did some reporting on how the wait list is being used more and more mm -hmm. to, the wait lists are not for you, right? They're not to help you, the prospective student, they're only there to help the law school. They're only there to help the university. They're putting people on the wait list because they want to make sure they can fill their class sizes up. But it's not like they've, they haven't already admitted enough people to their class, right? They're just using the wait list as a hedge against an unusual amount, uh, an unusual lack of matriculation. They've got their numbers. They've got their list. They have their expectations. They admit enough people to fill their seats, assuming X percentage decide to go elsewhere. The wait list is only there if X plus one percentage decides to go someplace yeah. else. Which is basically, it's like, you're not really going to get in off the wait list. Like, the wait list is not real. Some of you might. Some of you might hit the goddamn lotto. That doesn't mean that you kind of plan your life around getting into a place off the wait list. No, I think that's very true. It, it's pitched always as though it's for the student, and it really isn't. It's to hedge, and you should not assume that you're going to get off of that. And uh, I'm just kind of repeating everything because I agreed with it. Yeah, it's don't make decisions based on that. And also don't make decisions based on that. And you know why you shouldn't make decisions based on that is because the places that you're in are going to start charging you money to stay <laughs> on their list. It's just kind of adding insult to injury when you're saying, I'm going to lay out a hundred bucks to stay on this school's list while I wait for another school to make a decision. Just why? You've got a bone, go bury it. Stop waiting for a better bone. Yeah. Without going into all 15 schools, right? we're obviously suggesting this person, we'll email her later, go to the mid-tier school that's giving you half money. Do not try to get into a school off the wait list and do not go to a diploma mill just because it's free. Yeah, that's right. Do you want to go case one or case? Let's do one because I think it'll be quick. 
because it, it hits on some issues we discussed on our previous one. This is a person who's on the West Coast, wants to move back to the East Coast, wants to do public interest, Penn or NYU, public interest scholarships at both. What are you thinking? A, I'm just going to do the general, don't go to school to do public interest. Like there, everybody says that because it sounds great. Oh my God, I'm going to be like a good person with my, no, you're, you're going to need to make money. And at some point, somebody's going, if you go to one of these, especially if you're going to a Penn or an NYU, at some point, somebody is going to offer you a lot of money. Now, maybe three years from now, this person, four years from now, when they offer you a lot of money, you will still say, no, 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 I want to be poor and do good works. And that'd be great. And everybody would like applaud you, but making decisions, assuming that poverty is going to be what you want to do three or four years from now is not the best. Yeah. Assume that you're going to want to like own a car. And if you can figure out a way to do that while also being in the public interest, bully for you, but assume that you're going to kind of react like a normal human as opposed to react like a Justice League warrior. Yeah, I think that's right. That said, Penn. <laughs> yeah, see, I'd go NYU still, but I went to NYU, so and I, I'm just, I understand. And I've looked at a preview of the Above the Law Law School rankings. Which, that's very fair, although the Above the Law Law School rankings are based a lot, a key factor in them is affordability, which in this instance is off the table, which then changes that equation. And you know what? I, I take it back. I'm going to go with NYU because I forgot. Penn is in the doghouse for a year. Oh, yeah, yeah, They're in the penalty box because yeah. of Amy Wax. They're in the Amy Wax penalty box for a year. Let's All right, back. what are we going to do now? Let's go down south, baby. Let's go south. Much like the devil, we're going to go down to Georgia. And nothing. There was no reaction to that. I, Thanks. All right, okay. I just, I just thought that was funny, and all I heard was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So Georgia wants to work in the Atlanta area. Georgia State with a $29,000 scholarship or wait listed right now at UGA. Let's get over our wait list thing. Let's assume Let's there's pretend. a reasonable chance here. So or UGA, where it's probably more expensive. What do we do there? It, you, now, that's a state school. So even if it's full price, that actually might well be a reasonable price. Right. right. The person says they don't have any desire to work in big law. So again, this is one of these uh, public interest type of people. Although I don't think it was, I don't think this person was specifically public interest. It was more just like, they just want to work in Atlanta. Yeah, uh, very much Atlanta, very interested in public service, but that's a preference, not a guarantee. And public service, maybe it's just me. I'm imparting my own thoughts. When people say public interest, I think very, I'm going to work for some nonprofit. When they say public service, I can envision I'm going to also be a lawyer at the EOC or some government uh, job. So, so I think that there's a chance that this is a little more than just a nonprofit barely making anything. The thing that this person has going for them is that they already know where they want to be. They seem pot committed to Atlanta. To me, when you're dealing with a secondary market, I think Atlanta qualifies as secondary oh, as yeah, opposed absolutely. to tertiary, right? Yeah. When you're dealing with a secondary market, if you can go to the best state school in that secondary market, that makes you in that market like yeah. that's that becomes incredibly important right so put it like this if the person got into georgia state versus paying a bunch of extra money to go to georgia but really wants to work in texas i'd say take the money and go to georgia state and see what happens but if this person is super focused on atlanta yeah going to the very best school in georgia is gonna mean something to the people to the clients 
to the whole network in that city. Probably a little bit more than Georgia State. Now, Georgia State, I mean, it's got some connections, right? Yeah. It's a, You will be able to draw clients through that. You will have a referral network there, too. If you're hyper-focused on Atlanta, Georgia State is not a bad option. It's just going to the best state school in your state is usually the better option. I think that's generally true. Uh, that said, I think that Georgia State's perfectly fine here, especially given the money involved. I think that part of it is just having a preference for public interest work as opposed to a you know requirement. And I think that's a big difference because the real key to going to UGA over Georgia State is the networking, the it's the most prestigious one in the state and blah, blah, blah. But if you're willing to go to one of the firms, going to Georgia State and doing well and getting a job at a firm, that's where your network begins. You can mm -hmm. start making your connections there. You can get in at whatever and start meeting people there. That can create your network too. So sure, find it, wait it out, see what's going to happen with Georgia. And, you know, but I feel as though Georgia State's probably okay. And especially now we can bring reality back in mm -hmm. where he's probably not going to get in off the wait list at UGA. Georgia State is a fine school with the money that he's talking about. Yeah. Georgia State is fine. Let's go from this hyper-focused on one city to the crazy person <laughs> who, like, isn't sure if, you know, I they can work in moon, on the moon. No, no, no. I, I don't Mars think is out there as a possibility. I don't think it's that crazy. It makes total sense to me, but I understand how when you got the email, you're like, what are we talking about? So, all right. So laying it out, we're talking about wanting to work in either New York, D.C. You don't think those are two crazy different things, right? New York or D.C. or Arizona. Those are three completely different places. I don't view New York and D.C. as two, as two different. I mean, they are different. But if somebody said to me, I want to work in either New York or D.C., I wouldn't think, wow, you need to make up your mind. I think that's a thing that a lot of people applying for jobs do. So I'm viewing that as one thing and Arizona as another. And then you think, well, why do they have two different kinds of paths where they want their lives to be? We're talking about a non-traditional student who's older and has reached a point where they're like, I would be interested in that, but I could easily also see myself running out my shortened career over what some people might have in a place where I know I'm comfortable and do that. I mean, where I don't get it is because as an older person myself, I've lost the mental elasticity to like not know which toilet paper I want, right? Like I want the Charmin. I don't want anything else. I've tried all the other ones. I just want the Charmins now because I'm old. I'm about to turn. Do, do you know I'm, I'm turning 40 next, uh, next week? Yeah, no, I know. But you already crossed the kind of Andy Rooney corner a while ago. <laughs> the, the rest of us, though, still understand that there are different. Like, I could absolutely see if I were making a decision today coming out of law school, whether I could if I had come directly from Oregon and I had a chance and I was like, oh, should I work, go to NYU and try and work in New York or, you know, just stay out here? I think that's if I were making that decision at a 40 level, that would be a very different decision. As it was, I was like, screw this. I'm going to New York. So I could see it. So let's get past that. I, I, I do think, though, that if this were a situation where it was I'm 22 and I can't decide between these, I'm like, get some focus first. But this I find a little bit different. So the questions are. So we got. Emory, which is in neither New York, D.C. or Arizona, just pointing that out. 
Right. So we got Emory, we got Alabama, and we got Arizona. Now, Arizona's full ride. The other two have fairly substantial scholarships. Arizona's the only place that works in the matching game that we're trying to play. Right. And I think that's true. I think that Emory is probably a nice, you know, like a better name school. There's a opportunity potentially to get into a New York market there or at least a Atlanta market where you could then maybe transfer or whatever. But at the end of the day, I feel like if one of these schools were a New York school and there is some like Cardozo element, but like I don't think that's worth necessarily uprooting. If your interest is a real New York job, I think that one, you can get New York jobs, but it's not worth moving for. If you, The kind of jobs you're going to get out of that. If you were like, I'm also in at Fordham, then this is a discussion. But I think that if that's where we are, then the real question is Arizona versus these other places that ultimately gonna cost you money. If you're comfortable in Arizona, I think you stay in Arizona. Yeah, I think that this is second year we've done it on the podcast or third year we've done it on the podcast. Certainly the eighth or maybe seventh or eighth year we've done it on the site. I have never once recommended Emory, and yeah. I do not think it's going to be, I'm going to break that string today. And I think it's because, like this person, the value proposition of Emory always seems to be people who are in the South who want to go North. And yeah. I never understand that. <laughs> Emory never seems to give you enough bang for your bunk. We live in New York. We are in D.C. all the time. You rarely bump into, you know, talking to a Debevoise and Plimpton lawyer or, or you know, when you were talking earlier about a, you worked at Cleary. Yeah. You know, you don't bump into lawyers at those firms who went to Emory. My friend who lives in New York who went to Emory to get their law degree is an investment banker. So... <laughs> So and again, it doesn't mean that Emory is a bad school in any way. It's just what people want Emory to be and what Emory is just seems that there seems yeah. to be a big disconnect. So not Emory. Alabama, I think that's a, yeah. that's, a, that's a more competitive in terms of cost savings here. But of the three cities that this person said they wanted to be in, you know, Tuscaloosa was not one of them. So, And, I, and that's not going to translate <clears throat> to New York or D.C. in any real way. I, it, I don't think it translates across the damn Mississippi River. Yeah. Much less New York and D.C. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so that seems like it's out. Arizona, this is Arizona State, right? No, Arizona. Oh, it's Arizona. It's UA. Arizona is in a state where he said that he was willing to work. Yeah. So let's start there. <laughs> yeah. For the record, I blinded all of the genders on this for, you know, for our discussion purposes. So... I actually know what they all are. So when you hear us mixing them up repeatedly, if you're listening and you're these people, that's why Ellie doesn't necessarily know any of these. And I, I like to deleted them all. And because of the anonymity, I actually also like to yeah. switch my pronouns up. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I'm explaining for if anybody's like, that sounds like me. But yeah. All right. So finally, let's do our last one. Let's do me. Let's actually do me. Near and dear to your heart. So this person has gotten in at Harvard, but is on the wait list at Stanford. They went to Harvard undergrad. Yeah, right, right, right. I mean, that's that's true too, which you also did. And you, but yeah. so let's just do you, which is functionally the same. <laughs> so what do you do here? Right. So I, well, I want to do my my little thing, right, about how Stanford hates me for reasons I cannot understand. I applied to 11 colleges. I got into 10, not Stanford. I applied to five law schools. I got into four, including Yale, not 
Stanford. Wow. Why? I got waitlisted. Like the first for college, I just did not get in Stanford. And for law school, I got waitlisted for Stanford. What the hell? Am I not allowed to be like warm? Like what's <laughs> so part of this guy's question was also, should he expect to get in off the waitlist at Stanford? No, apparently not. You should not expect that. Amazing. I'll add to that also. Uh, you already talked about the waitlist issue that it's largely for if there's holes. Stanford is a smaller class. So the odds that they aren't going to get their people are even smaller. If he somehow magically or she magically got in off the waitlist and was actually choosing between Harvard and Stanford, A, number one, I still go back to where do you want to live? Now, which in this case, California. Now, Harvard and Stanford are a little bit different insofar as that you could just live there for three years and then still go kind of wherever you want in the country. Correct. But that's still three years of your life that you got to live somewhere. And having lived, this guy, like you said, Ari went to Harvard undergrad. So he's already lived for four years in Cambridge. I myself lived for seven years in Cambridge. And let me tell you, that's hell. Cambridge is not <laughs> a fun place to live for seven goddamn years of your life. It's cold. It's racist. Like, that's not a place that you want. So I'm, I take wherever, uh, Palo Alto, for three years, especially since he's already gotten the Harvard experience any freaking day in terms of just like, where does one want to live? Cool. In terms of quality of school, I mean, it really, <laughs> I like to think that one of the reasons that I was never deemed Stanford material is because they're not stupid, right? Like Stanford, Stanford has a different kind of vibe, vibe, right? Than Harvard because Harvard is Harvard law school is so much bigger. It does lead to a certain level of competitiveness that is not found in the other peer schools because they're so much smaller. So Yale and Stanford do have a more kind of collegiality mentality about things. There's so there's so very few of you. You kind of are all up in each other's business all the time. Whereas Harvard, it's easier to hate people and burn bridges and and have enemies and all this kind of stuff. And that some people, you know, thrive in that environment. You know, it's an urban legend, right? Of the going to the library to check out a book and pages have been ripped out of the case book to prevent other people from studying. And the reason why that's an urban legend is not because they don't have the balls to do it. It's just everybody can afford their own books. Like you don't have to yeah. go to the library again. <laughs> to go back to our earlier discussion, the only place I've ever heard a story of like a real person to person story of that actually happening was Emory. So <laughs> all right. So with so yeah, so if you get into if you get into Stanford off the wait list, I would go. But if you don't, and you probably won't, you know, you can do well for yourself with a Harvard Law degree. Despite what Ellie said. <laughs> so all right, let's wrap this up. Thank you, everybody, for listening. You should be subscribing to the podcast. You should be giving it reviews. You should be talking it up, yelling it at the top of your lungs, off the top of your roof, so that we can get more people listening. You can follow us at, I'm at Joseph Patrice. He's at L-E-N-Y-C. You should read Above the Law. You should watch MSNBC, because you'll occasionally see Ellie talking these, these last couple of weeks. He's been uh very, very active in explaining how Michael Cohen is screwed to everybody. So check that out. And uh, yeah, I think that's everything. We will be back very soon with another episode. Uh, until now, good luck to everybody. Uh, if we didn't cover your 
your decision thing that you sent us, I'll send you an email with um, my thoughts here soon. And also, uh, if you have more, um, send them on in. We'll try to, we might cover some more on the site or yeah. cover some more in a future podcast. Exactly. Always send them in and send in other questions too. You know, hey, we always looking for things to discuss and grind our gears about. I mean, mailbag. Yeah. Yeah. Mailbag. That, there we go. All right. Talk to everybody later. Bye. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. 